0: the zone, backhand chance in front, scores! Rasmus Anderson comes in as the late trailer and scores the shorty. thats pass for Pelche. knocked down by Zoo, but again, not out. To the corner, backland in front, side of net. scores! Wide open side of the net, Lindholm
1: buries it. I, I don't even know what to say, it's just, they uh, are not sharing pucks, we're not breaking the puck out, and turning pucks over when we shouldn't, and
0: uh, yeah, and so back of the net. It's time for The Drive on TSN 1200. Sending you home with everything you need to know about sports. Uh, That'll seal it. Holtz will hold. And the Colton University Ravens are champions again of 2023. They complete the dynasty three in a row for Taffy Tells and the Ravens. The and the Sheffler victory train just keeps on rolling. O'Neal to right, and that could chase him home. That's a diving stop by Young and Wright. Lost the ball. One run across, two runs across. Here comes Freeman. That chases them all home. Tyler O'Neill. 10-5. The win is in the rings right now for Manitoba. Final stone. Manitoba Manitou- has done what yeah. they need to do. They're making. Manoli. Guju, throw his last. Manoli. 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 Little heavy. Manoli. The arm is up Manoli. from Nichols. It's a Manoli. little heavy. It's got to come down for them. It's got to come down for them. Got to come down for them to sit down to be done. Now with the real host of the show, Chris Stevenson. Here's AJ Jakubek. The drive on TSN 1200. AJ Jakubek, Chris Stevenson, Cam Clement. That's your lineup till six o'clock today on the program. At least two and hopefully three guests will work in reverse order. Uh, at 5.05, Aiden Warnholtz, star of the uh, Carlton men's basketball team and the MVP of the U Sports Final Eight. He'll join us uh, from Ottawa. They expect to be landed by then. Flights have been delayed, but uh, hoping to be back. So... uh 505, Aiden Warnholtz. At 405, we'll go to Edmonton. Talk to a friend of the show, Bob Stoffer, about the Edmonton Oilers and the next opponent for the Ottawa Senators. And hoping in the first half of the show to track down, we're working on it, but uh, a player for the Col- Carlton Ravens women's basketball team. They leave actually tonight, flying home back to Ottawa after winning their second national championship. So what a day for the Carlton Ravens. What a weekend for sports. Hello, CJ. Hello, Cam. How are you guys today? Hello. Great. And like you said, what a weekend for sports. And
2: most of the show, let's face it, we'll talk about the Senators. And we'll get to that. But you and I were talking earlier today, getting ready for the show. And what a what a weekend, and remarkable for uh, people at the tops of their games being able to deliver over and over and over again. You know, it starts with Carlton, the men's team, of course. Seventeen out of twenty national championships. I said to you, it's like it's almost so big now. It's like you can't get your head around it. Like how I feel like we almost take it for for granted. And it just, like, it grows for me exponentially every year that you can continue that level of excellence. And now, you know, as you said, the, the women's team on board as well. Brad Gushu wins his fifth Brier. Again, I mean, th- the depth of curling in Canada, the, 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 the level of play to be able to, to do that, and especially with, with the way things are now, you know, teams constantly shifting and reshaping themselves. There's there's so many good curlers and people like recognizing who the top teams are and what they need to do to construct their team to be able to challenge them. And he still fends off all comers. And then Scotty Scheffler on the PGA Tour with six wins already in the last couple of years. And just turning it on with, with, the middle the middle of his round yesterday where he just took control of the tournament and built up like a 6 shot lead at one point we're seeing something special with him as well so so what a weekend for for people with a track record of excellence being able to stay at that level and win again and 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 the impression you get even though Scotty Scheffler's a very kind of low key shucks kind of guy that, that hunger for more wins just fuels you to have more wins. Like, never satisfied. What a remarkable weekend for sports, a remarkable day for sports.
1: Cam, how are you? I'm doing well. CJ, I think you summed it up perfectly. Athletes and programs reigning supreme. But one that kind of has is a relative unknown is Canada Baseball, and they secured their first WBC win in emphatic fashion. So I think um really... It was a, a bunch of dominant programs and athletes ranked supreme, and then one kind of team looking to make a name for themselves, doing exactly that. So yeah, no, it was a great weekend in sports, a lot to chew on. So I'm excited to see you guys munch away here for the next four hours.
2: Great Britain has a team. Like yeah, I'm not looking so great. at a bunch of these teams in in the world, and we you know we go on about the World Junior Championship and why is pick 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 whatever punching bag team winds up in there that's going to lose. Eleven nothing to Canada and eleven one to the to the United States, but I guess it's good for baseball that that you try to make it more of a a global game and get more of these countries involved and and hopefully that that inspires inspires baseball to become a bigger team or a bigger game around the world
0: yeah, I would love to see this event grow even bigger. I mean a lot of the best players in the world play in it some choose to skip it yeah, for a yeah. variety of reasons. You'd love to find a day where it's not skippable for any of the top players because right. they just want to be a part of it. And watching just some of the highlights from Venezuela Dominican Republic mm-hmm. and how fired up the players yes. and the fans yeah. get, I mean, this means something to yeah. them. And that's which is yeah, great.
2: That's a great point. Like for them, there's a lot of uh there's a lot of national pride on the line there I you know I don't think it gets to that level in the USA it's starting to get there in Canada now right red like it feels like they're getting more of the uh they're getting more of Canada's best players to to buy in and and be a part of it
1: yeah, Tyler O'Neill had a big day yes, yesterday, yes. and um, even uh, Freddie Freeman who wasn't born in Canada, but his late mother was Canadian, so he plays for Team Canada to honor her. Yeah. So uh, he, he's and he's a star of the game, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I, know, MVP. I think I think it's definitely gaining traction. I loved uh, I loved the last edition in 2017, put off a couple of years because of COVID. Yeah. And then you saw Mexico last night um, take down the U.S., which is a huge deal for them. I know. I think Joey Meneses had a huge day and an emphatic bat flip, and he was he's like a Mexican hero now. So, yeah. and all of a sudden if Canada can pull off an upset against USA tonight, they can essentially punch their ticket to the round of eight. So I think it's, um, no, it's, um, if, if it's, I think it's an event that definitely has a lot of room to grow, but it's already very exciting. And these c- countries care
0: a great deal. Mm. Quick, uh, note about the junior hockey tour, which continues. Mm-hmm. It was actually just, uh, part junior hockey, but part minor hockey, because I watched, a. Uh, Doubleheader. U18 AAA was the start of the TELUS Cup playdowns. Uh, all the games at Richcraft and. Speedy's uh, team. Yeah, I got a chance Coach to see. Coach of the Year. Renfrew against Carlton Place, which was an excellent game. Brent Wallace's son uh, and, and Lisa's. Uh, yeah. I have to mention Lisa as yeah. well. Lisa's on vacation right now, so well done. But uh, Brent was at the rink, and uh, Ryan's team ended up winning. 5-2, Renfrew over Carlton Place. And then Brad Smith, Coach of the Year. 6 nothing winners. Kempville beat Navin. I know a game two in a lot of these series go tonight. They're in the quarterfinals. It's a best of three as they work their way to the uh, TELUS Cup, which this year is in St. Hyacinth, Quebec. Also mm-hmm. went and saw, I've been to 11 of the 12 CCHL rinks now. I'd been to Rockland before, and what yep. a great... Setup they've got there at the CIH Academy, uh, but had not been to a Rockland Nationals game there and uh, went yesterday afternoon. And uh, that was, I mean, great rink, good atmosphere, real good hockey game. It was 2 1 in a shootout, but goalies were outstanding. Could have been a 4 3 game. And, you know, tough one for Rockland as they probably need to win out to make the playoffs, but uh, still an entertaining game. And, got to hit Carlton Place this weekend to hit all 12 cool. CCHL ranks. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I've hit most of the junior B ranks, 11 of 16, but uh, the other five didn't make the playoffs, or Winchester will have to hit next year. So continue to plug away at the various uh, arenas around Eastern Ontario and Western that, Quebec. Uh,
2: I, I did a tour like that during um, one of the lockout seasons. Yeah. You know? you're a national hockey league writer and there's no national hockey league and there's only so many stories you can write about what happened in today's negotiations yeah. right so i did i did one of those uh one of those tours through uh the valley back then so much fun like so much fun like there's so many people that are are heavily invested in the local team and it's such a big part of the social fabric of the town, right? Like in so many cases, that's where people go to hang out. Yeah. And see people. The game's like an excuse to, to get out in your community and and see your neighbors and, and see people in town and talk about whatever issues are are uh good or bad in your town. But what a what a great um it's gonna say network, probably not the right word. But just like such a great connection from through the valley from one end to the other of all these great old barns.
0: Well, one of the things that I feel when I travel and I love to travel and I love to travel and see sports, I feel like, and everyone's going to have their own different version of how they view getting to know a country or a city. Mm -hmm. But having done it a lot, yeah, I mean, I feel like you need to learn a little bit about the history. I feel like you need to experience it through food and, and we've seen that with a lot of various shows, right? A lot of the most successful travel shows, Anthony Bourdain. Yes. You know, there there's there's some other ones like Stanley Tucci's done a yep. really good one. And um I really like the uh the, the one with Phil Rosenthal that he goes through cities and countries and experiences them really through food, right? Yeah. So so those are a couple of major ways to do it, but I also feel like the heartbeat of, especially if you're into sports, that's the one thing that unites so many people, right? If you you can look at every country in the world and and what are the most watched broadcasts in the history of those countries, and England, it's World Cup soccer, in mm-hmm. the United States, it's Super Bowls, in Canada, it's it's uh, Olympic hockey, and and so. Sports is truly the uniter probably more than anything else in that country or in that city. And and so I feel like sporting events, you really get to learn the country, the community, the culture, all that type of stuff. And that's why I felt I needed to experience more yeah. outside of just Sens, 67s, Red Blacks, all that, you know, the stuff that yeah. I'm involved in, right? Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, hoping to get to to more, you know, whether it's Ottawa Sooners games or whatever over the course of the year because you truly, and and I love the fact that people come up and say hi and introduce themselves, and I think there's an appreciation for, you know, what I've done here, going around and and seeing and feeling the different communities out, which uh, has been, uh, I knew it's something that was always that I always wanted to do it, but it's been more rewarding than I could have even right. imagined in terms of just the people yeah. that have welcomed me to their community. So that's been fantastic.
2: And you do that in the wintertime. Summertime, I love doing the one end of the valley to the other, all the the, the local golf courses. Yeah. And it's, it's very similar. Like the, the, the locals that are playing at, at their course, the pride they take in it. And to your point, you know, beers from the local, beers from the local brewery at, at the golf course to have. And I'll be, I mean, I've, I've been privileged in my career to have the opportunity to play some of the greatest golf courses in the world. I've never get a, met a golf course that I don't like. No matter where you're going to find some redeeming value in a golf course that you play, it might be one hole or whatever. And to that point, just what you're saying about you know sports telling, you know revealing the uh, the the character of a people, and it's an oversimpli- uh, sim- um simplification. But um, going to Scotland in in May for ten days to play, and the goal of this trip is not to play any of the really high profile courses. We're we're going to go and we're going to play all the local the the little local munies and. I've been reading a course called Scotland by Tom Coyne. He also wrote a course called Ireland. And it's such a good read because yes, there's a lot of it that's about golf. So much of it is about the history of the town where the golf course is. Yeah. And, um, you know, in in many cases, like golf in Scotland is like hockey is here. Like no matter what the size of the town, they've got a golf course in Scotland. And just the stories and and things like playing, and I'm sure many people who go over there to play are so absorbed in their game and their score and how they're hitting it. And like, he'll talk about, oh, and on the side of the 14th hole at this course are the remnants of a church that was built in 1044. Like, just to be able to appreciate, as you said, the relationship between the people, the town, the sports and the history of it is so revealing like in terms of of uh, of learning about learning about the uh learning about a town no doubt and on a bigger scale cities like we characterize Vancouver Canucks fans we characterize Habs fans Philadelphia Flyers fans Leafs fans like sports is a real looking glass to
0: what the community is to all see about. what it's about. Yeah, get to the Ottawa Senators in our next segment, but I want to give a couple of minutes to the Carlton Ravens, which you know we're going to hear from Aiden Warnholtz today. We're going to hear potentially from one of the women's players as well, hoping to get that in the next couple of hours. But just what a remarkable achievement this is to win both in the same year. Which you, Vic, I remember growing up. And UVic was the standard. yeah. And they won seven in a row on the men's side with Ken Shields as the head coach there. But, you know, a lot of the best players in Canada had some really good teams in the 80s. You know, those are Canada's best teams. Sadly, we haven't, we've had better players, but our best teams were in the 80s. Jay Triano and Eli Pasquale. And, you know, a lot of those players came from the West Coast and in particular the University of Victoria. And what a great program that was in the 1980s. Well, that's the last time two men's and women's programs from the same school won the national championship in the same year. Um, incredible, right? Everything Dave Smart seems to do yeah. turns to gold. Obviously, his focus was on the men's team for so many years, and you know the national championships came pouring in, and when he turned his attention full-time to the director of basketball operations. All of a sudden now it feels like this is going to potentially be the norm with not just a great men's program, but a terrific women's program. They went out. Taffy Charles was the excellent head coach of the women's team. He made the transition to the men's team and it's been seamless with another national championship yesterday. And quite frankly, an all-time classic, maybe the best men's game ever played I
2: appreciated your uh, I appreciated your updates during the yeah during the pregame which, show yeah which were that was well done yeah
0: <laughs> I was a little frazzled to be honest yeah. because yeah I, it was important to me and yeah in the middle of doing the intro in the middle of talking to Dave Poolin, I'm no, listening was perfect but I'm also watching what's going on and they're hitting wild shots and it's like holy cow oh
2: it was perfect
0: Yeah. so yeah an all-time classic yesterday and the men's program in great hands. But, you know, to target someone like Danny Sinclair who fits the profile of what Carlton is all about, um, you know, you, you watch a game with a women's team and you can see she's Carlton identity through and through. And they targeted her from, ironically enough, UVic. Yeah. And, you know, this is a young team in the Carlton Ravens women's team that's only going to get better and better. So, it feels like, you know, two national championships. It feels like this might become a regular thing on the women's side, much like it is on the men's side. And this truly is one of the great accomplishments in Canadian sports history when you're talking about what youth sports is and dynasties. I mean, we've seen some tremendous programs in so many different sports You know, you think of men's hockey and the University of Alberta and all the banners they've got up, and New Brunswick has had a fantastic program as well. You think of football, and you've got Laval, you've got Western, you've got other programs that have been top of the line. But to win 17 of 20 in a sport like men's basketball, where they have raised the bar as well, right? I mean, basketball in this country 30 years ago, I mean, you had... It was a big deal if you were a then-CIAU school, then-CIS, then-U sports. It was a big deal if they could go out and beat a Div 2 program. Yes. And now we've seen in recent years, not just Carleton, but other top programs in this country, go out and regularly beat really good NCAA Division I schools. Yeah. And so they've raised the bar, and by raising the bar, they've made it more difficult for for themselves, but, you know, you're looking back-to-back years, a vulnerable Carlton team, almost lost last year to Alberta, got it done. Almost lost to FX yesterday, got it done. And the almost just tend to always go in their favor, and it really is incredible. It's not luck. They just yeah. know how to win Yep. when it comes down to crunch time. Simple as that. One of my favorite things on the station is listening
2: to Dave Smart. When you've got got him on, usually Wednesdays, you can outline what might happen this week with everything going on. But the the thing about, I, I like listening, why I like listening to Dave Smart is, you know, full disclosure, I'm not really a basketball guy at all. I watch the NBA playoffs. I'll watch the Raptors when the Raptors are in it. But I am not going to usually sit down and, and see, hey, what's a good NBA game tonight? I'm probably going to be watching replays of golf's greatest rounds <laughs> on the golf channel over that. The thing I love about listening to Dave Smart is the principles that he talks about can apply to anything. And yeah. not just sports. They can apply to business. They, like, the approach that's taken transcend basketball. And that's why I, I, I love the conversations you guys have with them because there are things that no matter what line of work you might be in, when you listen to those conversations, I'm going to guarantee you that almost out of every one of them, you're going to find something that applies to your situation about how you can be better at what you do and what you need to do to be better at what you do. So it's not it's not surprising to me that as his sphere of influence grows that now you've seen the women's program, which was already pretty damn good, go to that next level as well. When you apply those, you know, whatever you want to call it, a philosophy, a culture, fundamentals, stick whatever buzz, corporate buzz phrase you want to put on it. But clearly now that envelops both teams at at Carlton, and, and the results are clear.
0: So congratulations to both uh, the Ravens men and the Ravens women. I'm not sure why U sports elects to put both those games at the same time. Oh, come on. It, it shouldn't be that difficult. It's no. not like you've, if you had two separate television partners and they said, that's the only time we can run it. Okay, great. But guess what? They're both on CBC Jam. All you have to do, if they're going to play on the same day, ideally you wouldn't even play them on the same day. But I get it, right? But if you're going to play them on the same day, you've got the window of all day, right? You can play one game at 7 o'clock at night and the other game at 4 in the afternoon. Yeah. The athletes are, are fantastic, The product is sensational. The people running it, clueless. I hope they hear this. I know there's a lot of people from U Sports organizations, and not just Carlton, I can tell you that. I know there's people from across U Sports that appreciated my tweet on the weekend. So get your heads out of your rear ends and sort out something that's, quite frankly, pretty simple. You don't play the men's and women's game at the same time. All right, when we come back, we'll get into the Ottawa Senators. We got the positive out of the way, CJ. (laughs) Senators, uh, tough trip out west as we continue with The Drive on TSN 1200. The Drive on TSN 1200, AJ Jakubek, Chris Stevenson, Cam Clement. Before we get into the Senators on the ice, just a quick note. Terms of what Darren Drager tweeted 38 minutes ago in regards to Bill Daly meeting with the media at the GM meetings. Uh, Daly has confirmed that the uh, first round of bids on the Ottawa on the sale of the Ottawa Senators has been received. They're being evaluated. Not much more to share at this point. So, not really news in terms of what we've heard. But that is from the deputy commissioner and. At the very least, we know that they're being evaluated. So we're in the next step here when it comes to the impending sale of the Ottawa Senators.
2: Yes, and and um, I listened to you guys uh, last week talking about the Sportico story that said that there were up to um, nine bids for the franchise. I, I don't know how many of those that you would consider to be uh, legitimate, I think there's probably three or four that are, are, I'd say, real heavyweight bids. The intriguing thing to me, talking to somebody the other day, is that this is such a moving target right now. The league wants to maximize, as you would expect, the return for this franchise, and that's why we've heard the number, you know, nine hundred million to a billion dollars being bandied about. And yes, the opportunity to develop LeBreton Flats is is a big part of it. And I know right now, I think they're... I want to say that the footprint for the the rink at LeBreton right now is around seven acres. From what I've heard, everybody who's bidding for the team is negotiating with the NCC to enlarge that that footprint, which which gives them more opportunity to develop real estate down there and and make this uh, a deal that would be worth even more to them, more to everybody involved. So the, the the number, I mean, I've heard all kinds of numbers kicked around, but I've heard that it that it could expand from seven acres to up to as much as twenty five acres at LeBreton Flats. So this this is something else that potentially can affect the uh, the value of of what you're getting if you're going to buy the Ottawa Senators, and of course all of that still needs to be negotiated with the NCC. So there's a lot of of moving pieces that are going to be going on. The other thing is there are legitimately north of of six or seven interested groups. What what makes this so intriguing? Is from what I've heard, there's talks going on among all of the groups. So you can't even look at this as being competition at this point between nine nine different groups. We might we might see a um, an allegiance of one or two groups get together, which is nothing but good because now you're increasing the amount of capital that's involved, right? And we've heard the stories about the the Jeff York group uh, here in Ottawa that that's uh, um, you know, potentially raised as much as a hundred million dollars to throw into the pot. So it's going to be interesting to me as these bids are being evaluated. I'm sure the message coming from the national hockey league is, do you guys want to talk to these guys and maybe get together And, and maybe there's a synergy there for, for your group, because you've got a background in concert promotion, these guys have a a background in shopping malls or real estate development or building condos or developing green spaces in urban areas. So, I, I think right now what is going on behind the scenes is there are all kinds of conversations going on among the groups. So they're not all in silos here, and it's going to be like, yeah. Uh, Silo number two, they've got the best bid. That's where we're going. I think right now what's going on is there are all kinds of talks going on between all these various groups. Allegiances being plotted where they're looking at it and and trying to ascertain themselves. Who do we think is the number one group here? Well, if the answer isn't you, you better be doing something to make sure that you're, going to make yourself more attractive than the group that you have decided is the number one group. And maybe that is taking on some other partners from another, from another group. So to me, it's when all is said and done, it's going to be very interesting to me to see who finally emerges out of all of this, because I, I think what we're going to see is, is um, an allegiance between maybe as many of three of these, these bidding groups to come together. if, if the egos can be kept under control and everybody recognized that here's a great opportunity for us to have ownership of of an NHL team and our primary interest is developing real estate and our primary interest is concert promotion and this one guy's primary interest is winning a Stanley Cup that everybody can come together for their mutual benefit and the concert promotion guys can get everything they want out of it. The real estate guys get what they want, and somebody's gonna get, hopefully, for him, her, them, and Senators fans, their Stanley Cup. So these this next little while now to me, to I'm I'm hoping, I'm hoping that Ryan Reynolds and his company is already got the cameras going. Yeah. To tell the story of
0: Oh, I'm sure they are.
2: Right. To tell the story of the ownership of of the Ottawa Senators, because I think because of everything that I'm talking about, all these backroom negotiations that, that I'm led to believe are going on, wouldn't it be great to see that story finally told when the Senators
0: enter a new era? To me, the only thing I'm hoping for... I want the best possible group. I want Ryan Reynolds involved. And I know these things take time, right? So I'm not surprised that the timeline keeps changing and keeps getting pushed further and further back because these are complicated deals. We're, we're talking about, you know, when all is said and done beyond the Ottawa Senators, we're talking about probably a multi-billion dollar deal, Right, right. yes. When you're talking about, The real estate, the land, the development, the arena, the hockey team, everything, right? Yeah. So these are complicated deals. They don't happen overnight. I really hope this is done before the draft. And I I don't know if it will get done before the draft, but I, I just, I'd like to see the next course that the Senators go on, right? And I think we know that the Senators, and we'll get to their problems of today here shortly, but I think we know that this team has a lot of the pieces in place to be real good over the course of the next few years. Would you agree with that? Yeah, for sure. So yes, if that's the case, I feel like the course of the organization in terms of charting the course of the organization should be done by the next group. And the next group may say, we like the vision that, you know, current management and the coaching staff and all that type of stuff is going on. Stick with the course that we're on here right now. But I I would like to see that sorted out sooner rather than later and prefer and preferably before the draft, before free agency, before, right? Because right? you've got some big decisions to make, especially involving a guy like Alex Dabrinkit. So there, there's there's a lot that needs to be dealt with and sorted out, and I hope ownership is in place to chart that course before the draft. Is that uh, unrealistic right now? I'm going to say it.
2: At this point, I'm going to say yes. Just, just because, like I said, just on the periphery, having a few conversations, that it sounds like there's there's still a ways to go to even see what some of these bids are going to look like. And here we are, we're middle of March now. As you said, uh, a, a complex, and I'm not saying that it can't it can't be done. Yeah. But what I've been led to believe, there's still a lot of complex negotiations to go on. And we're in the middle of March now. So really what you're talking about is getting this all wrapped up in, what, three three months? Not impossible, but I say the odds are against it at this point. Love to be proven wrong, but I'd say the odds are against this being all done by July 1st.
0: So does that concern you from a hockey perspective? Uh, because it's a long time to be, right? And we saw, like, I read Chris Johnston's piece today talking about general managers, right? That's part of the scuttlebutt of being down there. Yes, of course. And that's a long time potentially to be, and we don't know if he is, but potentially to be a lame duck general manager in terms of Pierre Dorian, right? Right. Because there's no guarantees that new ownership's going to say, you're the guy. Right? And there's other, None. I mean, Kyle Dubas and there's other general managers out there that might be out of work next year as well. It's yeah. not the easiest spot, I'm sure, for Pierre Dorian to be in. But I think the sooner that that is resolved, the better off this organization is going to be long term.
2: Yes. And and I, what I'll add to what I've said, to all of the fine points that you've just made now, that... Those, trying to achieve that would be a priority, I think, for everybody involved, the league and the, the group's bidding. But getting to that point, even though that might be the will of everybody involved to try and get this resolved, as you said, to, uh, to have a new the, the new ownership group in place by, by uh, mid-June or whatever, I, I still think it feels like that's going to be tough to do even though the will of everybody involved might be to accomplish that. Yeah. That would be the perfect scenario. To let them go into the new NHL year, right? Let them go into the new NHL year
0: and have them do what they want to do. We'll take a break. We'll take some texts at twelve twelve hundred, and then dive right into last night, the here and now. I think it all kind of goes together, right? When you're talking about charting the course of the future of the organization and then just watching what we've seen over the course of the last four games, which hasn't been very good. As the Senators, I mean, somehow they're still in a playoff race because no one's running away with it. 92 points, right? That's It's not exactly, this is the year to be kind of on the bubble and in the mix because it's right there for you. For all these teams, for Buffalo, for Florida, for Washington, who some people left for dead and they're still hanging around. Heck, even Detroit's not out of it yet. Yeah. Looks like Pittsburgh's starting to pull away. Looks like it's six teams for one spot. The the tragic number
2: for Ottawa right now for me is five. Ten points, that's all. That's how many more you can afford to lose and still be in the conversation. And that's being on the
0: optimistic side. Yeah, that gets you to ninety-two,
2: and it might be north of
0: that. Yeah, I've got nine, but you're right; it's in that vicinity, right? So you're looking at
2: you're allowed five more regulation losses. I'll say four, and a and a combination of whatever you know, ten ten lost points, and if you want to say eleven or twelve, whatever, but. That that's, that's the reality of where we're at now.
0: And guess what? Now the schedule gets really hard. We'll break it down on the other side as we continue with the drive on TSN twelve hundred. The drive on TSN twelve hundred. AJ Jakubek, Chris Stevenson, Cam Clement, get to uh, need to know top of the hour. Bob Stauffer will join us at four o five. Talk about uh, the Oilers who are, of course, uh, Ottawa's next opponent. And Aiden Warnholtz, MVP of the U Sports Men's Final Eight, uh, will join us at 5.05, still working on a Ravens women's player. Um, First text in, 12-1200 from Rob. Hey, guys, the people who say you can't trade Shabbat will be the same people two years from now who will be complaining that they had to give up assets to trade him. He is a name at the present time, so he... Should be traded this summer for a right shot D. He plays like he is on the ODR. Also, no way they should pay DeBrinkett eight or nine million. Shabbat and DeBrinkett could fetch three to four pieces that could strengthen the overall team. That's from Rob. So here's your first text of the day, CJ.
2: <laughs> we didn't waste any time nope. diving right in. I
0: I figured, you know what, I'm gonna see what's here because this is gonna be a shorter segment. We'll dive a little bit more into it head first next segment, but yeah. yeah, I mean those are those are the two names that come to mind. I think for a lot of people because Shabbat makes a lot of money right now, and that matters. It does matter in a cap world. It matters, right? And DeBrinket is owed a lot of money next year if they qualify him. Yep, and if you keep them long term we know it's going to cost a lot of money. And right now, I feel like, you know, when Batherson has certainly not helped this case this year with his overall defensive game, although I think it's been, I don't know what you think about Batherson's game the last 20 games or so, but I think it's been better. Where would you stand on Batherson?
2: I, I... I feel like he's a player who would be better in a more um, structured environment. And I think he. it looked like a good deal when he signed it. This year's defensively has been a disaster. It's simply, you can't win having one of your top six guys, and they actually have two. And I heard the guy say, do you know that you it? And I think um, Lee might have brought this up with, with uh, Gord when he was on. That the two of them are a combined minus fifty five. And and whatever you think about the plus minus stat or yeah. whatever. Whatever. They've been on the ice for fifty five more goals against at five on five than they've scored. And these are supposed to be two of your top offensive guys. So I think I feel like Batherson, Batherson's got at least got the potential to to play up to his contract, down to his contract, whatever way you want to look at it. the, the, the last few games and, and I'm not going to say it it's an epiphany, but I'm I'm watching the game last night and I'm follow I'm when DeBrinkerts on the ice I'm watching him. And it was just that moment, I just I said to myself, this guy's not a 9 million dollar player. He's not. If you're going to be a nine million dollar player. You need to be having an impact almost every shift that you're out there making something happen.
0: Or if you're not, you need to be, you need to be really good at that one dimension that you're really good at. Mm-hmm. Goal scoring, right? Mm-hmm. But but I feel like if if you're a one dimensional player, and that one dimension is you're a goal scorer and you're scoring a lot of goals, then you can probably say, okay, you know what. We can pay for that guy because he's giving us forty or fifty every year, and I get it. He scored forty a couple of times, yeah, and it hasn't happened this year. But I feel like I feel like he's a seven and a half million dollar player, yeah. which is yeah, yeah, which is a really good player. But I don't know. Number one, I don't know if that gets it done with him, right? Yeah, a year out from free agency. If I'm him or his agent, I'm probably betting on myself unless I love Ottawa so much. So I I think they're in a bit of a tough spot here with Dabrinkit. Because one of the things I was going to say is it feels like anecdotally, when I'm watching this team, when they struggle of late, that more often than not, some of the key mistakes are being made by one of Dabrinkit or Shabbat. And it's interesting that that's the first text, right? Yes. Right out of the blue, talking about Debrinket and Shabbat. Doesn't mean I want to be, like, it's not all their fault, right? I mean, their problems go beyond two players. But those are supposed to be two of your best players, and they've been just okay.
1: When you hear Tim Stutza say they didn't work hard enough, do you think he's talking about anyone in particular or just the team as a whole?
2: I've got to feel like it's team as a whole. Like that's, yeah, that's a pretty big. That's a pretty big stretch. And I mean, frankly, Stutza didn't show much last night either. He got a gift, uh, gift goal by being in the right place at, at the right time. I, I think that's a collective. I feel like that that was a collective statement. So the interesting thing for me about Thomas Shabbat, keep him, trade him. And this is going to be less of an issue for all the people that would be, oh, whoa, his contract's going to balloon to $10 million. I think that's going to be less of an issue with new ownership. Yeah. It doesn't have any trade protection until the twenty four twenty five season so he's got one more one more season after this of no control over whether he's traded or not I think that enters into your determination about whether or not you stick with Thomas Shabbat or if you want to move him to augment your right side because now you've got Sanderson and Chickren on the left and and maybe you could augment the right but he's he's doesn't have any trade he's got modified no trade starting in 24 25 so one one more season where Thomas Shabbat doesn't have any control over where he might be traded and his salary goes from four million this year to eight and then that first year when he's got the modified no trade clause he starts three straight seasons at 10 which depending on where he's going could be a consideration for a team. I'm so, going to say that's much less, much much less of an issue than some people might try and make it.
0: Talk about more of this when we come back after. What you need to know as we continue with a drive on TSN 1200.